The Athletic. Welcome back to 1874 on The Athletic, a podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. I'm Dan Bardell, joined by Greg Evans, The Athletic's Aston Villa reporter. And just before we start, you can subscribe to The Athletic UK right now for a special prize of just £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts, including this one. So go to theathletic.com slash villapod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash villapod. Good morning, Greg. Sitting in your hotel room in Newcastle, fresh from an absolute goal bonanza from the Villa under-18s last night. How are you? Uh, I'm good, I'm good. I like that intro. You should have done my match report there, mate. Good word, bonanza. You can have that. Bonanza. Haven't used that one for a good five years. Uh, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm much fresher than last time we spoke anyway. Yeah, I mean, we haven't used goal bonanza for the Villa first team probably since the Liverpool game back in way back when, I think it was September, wasn't it, when, when Villa scored seven against Liverpool. So was, the way Villa games have been recently, it was probably nice for you to, to see Villa run riot and score a few goals. Yeah, it was actually. I put out a tweet on, on the full-time whistle just saying that it was probably the most enjoyable game I've watched of the season. And, you know, I, I'd put it, I'd actually put it ahead of the Liverpool game. I know I know it was under-18 football and, and Newcastle really weren't up to much, but Villa have now scored 15 goals in their last two Youth Cup games. And, you know, they, they are absolutely flying and they play some brilliant stuff. Um, so fluid, you know, the, the the sort of five or six attacking type players um, like interchange between their positions, and um, it's a real joy to watch them at the moment. Yeah, they're uh, they're a really good developing side. So interesting to see how far they go. But yeah, last night was was really enjoyable, mate. Yeah, because I looked at Newcastle Twitter be- before the game. I try not to upset our producer too much. Here, I had a look, and Newcastle were relatively confident. They had a player in there. I think. Elliot, Elliot Anderson or, or something like that. They were confident that, that he was going to rip Villa to shreds, basically. And they were, that Newcastle had some hot prospects and they were looking forward to the game. There's a few people with a tail between the legs when the 6-1 result came in. I mean, how good were the team last night? I'm trying not to oversell them here because, uh, you know, they've still got a couple of games to go until they could potentially go and win the, the Youth Cup. But, I mean, they were unbelievable. You know, that, that's the only way I could really describe them. There were a couple of commentators um, sitting next to me who, who were obviously going through the game. They'd, they'd watched Newcastle a lot this season. Um, they were so shocked by, by Villa's sort of fluidity that, you know, Carney Chuck Wemker absolutely running the show, getting a hat-trick. Um, and, you know, he is the real deal. I wrote about him this week and, that, that you know, there is no hiding behind it now. He is the real deal. He's He's pushing... Um, for first team involvement and if Villa don't give him that then there are plenty of clubs in Europe waiting to see whether they can be given the opportunity to give him those minutes because before he signed his deal in, in, in October pretty much every club in Europe wanted him you know every big club in Europe there were Man United and Man City and Liverpool were all interested there were clubs in Italy and Germany um, clubs in France you know Monaco were very keen to take him and all of these clubs um, on the continent basically said to him, if you come to our club, then we will give you that fast tracking into the first team. Now, Villa, I'm understood, said that they would match that and, and that they would um, you know, also offer a, a route into the first team. OK, so Carney's been on the bench once this season. Um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a positive sign for a 17-year-old still. But 
I think he's at the stage where, you know, he's kind of waiting to, to, to kick on now because that's what he was told alongside a lot of the other, other youngsters. So, um, you know, he's, he's just one of the, he's just one of this, you know, really, really um, exciting youth, youth team. Uh, I thought Brad Young, who hasn't really had, um, you know, much written about him or much said about him. He was a kid that did the spin in the Liverpool game, didn't he? Came on and did the spin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he played up front uh, with with Louis Barry out on the left. I thought that you know, he was head of Barry in terms of that game. Thought he, he took his goal really well uh, and looked a handful throughout. And yeah, there were other uh, decent performances as well. Racky in, in in the middle, big towering midfielder. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, he, he seems uh, he seems to have a bright future as well. Uh, Kane Kane Kessler on on the on the right who who we've spoken about a few times already, and even as far as back as the defenders, you know, Lamar Lamar Bogard and, and Sil Swinkles, the two uh, Dutch lads that they brought in um, in the last transfer window, look very assured at centre half as well. Yeah, speak a little bit more about Carney because for me, he's got the physical attributes. To be a first-team footballer, it's not like you're waiting for him to develop. He's got a very good build, especially for a for a central midfield player. He's well over six foot. He just seems ready and he, and he looks ready. And obviously, when you're banging in a hat-trick in the Youth Cup semi-final, you've got something about you. He's 17, so he's the, I'm not saying he's the same standard as Bellingham, but you know he's the same age as Bellingham. Players in Germany, Germany seem to have that trust to, to throw a youngster in. For Villa, at a time when the midfield's not really playing with any real panache, we're not, we're not looking great central midfield. We spoke about that on a, on a few podcasts now. Are you surprised he's not been closer? Uh, yes and no, because I look at it from Dean Smith's point of view and I think, OK, he's a 17-year-old. Dean Smith would have seen him up close you know, and compared him to the other midfielders that he's got. So he will know what Carney is doing in training and, and how close he is to the other players. Um, now, all I've seen him playing in is under-23 and under-18 games. So that's all I can compare him to. Um, I tried to speak to as many people in the game as possible to try and get a most the most accurate and balanced view of where he's at. Um, and a lot of people have told me that he's at, at the same level as Bellingham. You know, he's playing the same way as him. He's ready to go and kick on in the same way that Bellingham has, providing he gets the necessary exposure. So, um, so yeah, you know, that, that's where we're at. But I think for Carney, the... the um, the aim now is if he does get his chance, he's got to go and take it in the first team because if he comes in and he doesn't really perform or um, I, I'm not saying Jacob Ramsey's done anything wrong, but we're still waiting for that blockbuster performance from him, aren't we, to, to, for him to really announce himself on the Premier League stage. So I think with Carney, you know, it's even, it's even tougher for him to an extent because there are so many midfielders ahead of him. So if he gets his chance, he's got he's to do it straight away. Um but you know, from what I've seen, he 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 looks the real deal. People tell me he's the real deal. Um, so in in another, you know, if you flip it a little bit, it is a little bit of a surprise that that he hasn't played because Villa's midfield isn't performing as well as it has been. The, the way the way I look at it though is, um, I feel personally that John McGinn has suffered a little bit this season because of a Douglas Louise isn't as strong defensively in the second half of the season as he was at the first half of the season. And B, he's, ha he's having to do a lot more in his role, in a deeper role now, which is completely different to last season, um, to sort of offset Ross Barkley. And now we know that 
what we've seen from Ross Barkley is that he doesn't trap back and defend as much as, say, McGinn would do if he was in that attacking midfield position. So that means that McGinn is having to do more. Now, if Carney comes in and takes Ross Barkley's place, because Carney's not going to come in and be a sitter alongside Douglas Louise or, or John McGinn. That, that's not really going to work. That's not his game. He grew up watching Kaka and, and building his game around him. That's who he loved growing up. So he's going to be, he's going to be an attacking player. He's going to be a number eight and number 10. That's where he played last night and, and caused so much damage. If he comes in, is that going to make it even harder for John McGinn and um, Douglas Louise to stick to their defensive duties? And will he do as much or as or, or more than Ross Barkley? We, we, we won't know that until we see it. I mean, Dean Smith's the one that sees them training up close. He, he likes to he likes to play youngsters if he can as well, doesn't he, Dean Smith? So if he was ready and Dean Smith thought he was ready, I guess we would have seen him on the pitch. Yeah, I think so. I think you know he has given he has given some youngsters a chance, hasn't he? That you know there are some there are some other thoughts that maybe you know he hasn't given um, the likes of Philogene Bedais and Carney himself, you know, a go when maybe they they might have deserved, um, you know, maybe an appearance off the bench or two. But it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because for Dean Smith, every single every single point is so important for him, you know, and um, if he, he he can't just risk bringing in a player just just to say, oh yeah, we've given him his debut, you know. Let's give the kids a go. He's not at that stage ever in the season because every point's so valuable for him, and he'll know that the players that he believes can get him those points. I mean, you you did your piece saying there was clubs circling around him if he doesn't get first team football, but he's signed a professional contract recently, so there's no need for Villa to sell. So I presume these clubs circling around really is not a major issue to the club at the moment. I don't think it's a major issue right now, um, but it could be a, a, it could be an issue moving forward. Yeah, you know, you've got the situation where. Carney doesn't get minutes, for example. That's only going to um, increase the interest from elsewhere. The clubs that were previously interested in him will, will, will you know, will be back in for him. They'll, they'll be saying, "Well, you know, we wanted you before. We, we've, we've kind of monitored you now. We, we think you're improving. We want you even more so now." Villa don't want to sell at this point and are under no pressure to sell because you know he's contracted to the club. So, you know, they're protected to an extent there, but. If he doesn't get any minutes this season, for example, and then you go into next season, he's only got two years left on his contract. So from, from, from a club's point of view, you never want a player to be going into the last year of the contract because then the value uh, you know, diminishes so much. So there's a lot of things to weigh up, but I think everything will be resolved if he gets minutes. I think it's as simple as that because if he gets minutes, he's happy. Um, the other clubs realise that oh, they probably can't get this guy. You know, he's, he's got a development plan in, in this club and and he's kicking on. Um, but if he doesn't, then, you know, the options all open up again. Yeah, I want to see him on the pitch because he's probably the most excited I've been about a, a young Villa player since Jack Grealish. It feels like we've known about him for a while now and it felt the same with Jack. Now I'm not saying for one second that he'll reach Jack's heights, but, you know, he's, he's someone to be excited about and I want to see him progress and I don't want us to lose him so hopefully that'll all get resolved soon just going back to the, to the offer at the top end of the show the the 399 a month for, for six months Greg entice us in what else have you been up to what have you been doing and what have you got coming up yeah well just keeping on on the Carney theme you know I've, I've wrote a big detailed sort of background piece on on what he's like as a player what his upbringing was like um and, uh, and, you know, where he could potentially go in the future. You know, I found that quite interesting to put together because not many people know exactly what he's all about. Big week um, for him. I mean, he scored a hat-trick and then he's having Greg Evans write two pieces about him. That is a sensational week for the lad. 
Yeah, he's, he's almost made it, hasn't he? I mean, that'll mean as much as a first name debut, I would think. We just need Dan Bardell to tweet about him now and then he's... Oh, I've done it. Though. I've done it. He's ignored me. I've done it. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> no, look, he's going places and, you know, every, uh, there are a lot of people that are saying he's the real deal. So um, I like to listen to people in football and, you know, because they know more about it than, than I do. So that's the reason why he's getting all the hype this week. Um, I, I also wanted to, you know, sh- I did a piece basically on Keenan Davis in his first goal and, and, and how sort of long and hard it has been for him. Uh, and also Wesley returning as well. So, and there's a couple of big pieces coming up in the next few weeks. Bits that might be a little bit surprising, but will also be very interesting. So look out for those two. All right, I'll ask you about that off camera when the podcast finishes, because I know you're not going to tell me on air. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's focus on that West Brom game then now, and you've, you've just alluded to it. Keenan Davis finally scores in the Premier League, although I do feel like some of the stats are a, a little bit harsh on him. It says like he's gone 50 plus games without a league goal. Very few of them have been starts, and probably most of them have been 10 to 15 minute cameos. So it does feel a little bit harsh, but he will feel to corner Jolie and Lescott phrase like the weight has been lifted from his shoulders, won't it? Yeah, definitely. I look in, in the story that I wrote, I, I felt harsh saying it, but he scored six goals in six years at Villa. And I felt, you know, I felt that that was quite bad, but. Those are the facts, but you know, if you're also looking at it, he's only played I think 157 seven minutes this season, and you know, to get a goal and assist in in those minutes is quite good. So, um, you know, I keep going back to Jacob Ramsey. I hope I don't mean to sound like I'm I'm um, I'm writing him off, or because I'm certainly not. I'm very much in support of him, but he's played 469 minutes as an attacking midfielder and, and, and hasn't got a goal to assist yet. So, you know, there, there, there's still a quite a lot to like about Keenan Davis. I think that he works very hard. You know, you would have seen in his interview after that he's a very he's a very humble and down-to-earth guy. Um, these teammates really do appreciate him. And I think, the, you know, Villa Twitter account put out that this will be the first of many goals for him. You know, obviously they, they're giving him the big sell, but I agree with that. I think he'll get some more goals now. It'd be good to see him score. Um you know, again this season, and ideally get his first start of the season, really, because it's crazy, isn't it, that he hasn't had a go in the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, that's two of the last three home games now where he's really come on and made a positive impact with two goal involvements. And to be fair, he, he was the one that changed the game. I know it was Trezeguet that scored the goals against Fulham, but I really felt it was Davies occupying the centre-halves that, that changed the game. He's doing all he can do off the bench at the moment, which I guess is all you can ask of people who are coming off the bench. He's, he's giving the manager a little bit of a headache. Well, not even a headache, because I think I think probably he probably starts now. You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? But we, we had this conversation after the uh, after the Fulham game and and we were building him up for, for the Liverpool game, weren't we? And I don't even think he came off the bench, did he? No, no, no. Didn't get a minute. Yeah, you know, let, let alone start. So... Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what what Dean Smith does. Whether he whether he feels like he can mix it up, whether he feels like he can maybe shift Watkins out to the to one of the wings and uh, and put 
put Davis, you know, centrally, or whether he can even play the two with, with potentially Ross Barkley behind them as a number ten. You know, I think Barkley did well. I think I think he did. I think he did very well in the last game, and hopefully that's um, a timely reminder ahead of his return to Everton that he can actually do something before the end of this season. So. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Look, Villa have got plenty more options now, haven't they? Because Wesley's back as well. So it was quite quite fun, really, to see Villa finishing with three strikers on the pitch because um, we only ever see them with one. I can't remember the last time I saw three strikers on the pitch at the same time. For Villa, probably back in the Steve Bruce days when he used to bring on every striker that was available at the club at the end of the game if, if we were losing. We'll, we'll come back to, to Wesley, but just going back to Barkley, obviously you were at the game. How surprised were you to see his name on the team sheet? No, I wasn't, Dan, to be honest. I, I, I kind of expected him to play. I just, just had a feeling. I don't know if it was just a hunch or, um, you know, Smith, Smith certainly didn't give any anything away leading up to the game. Um, but no, I wasn't surprised to see him on there, actually. And, and I thought he did well. He obviously won the penalty. Um, clever decision-making in, in the attacking areas. He wasn't that liability-type player that he was previously. He didn't give the ball away. Um, as often, I thought he tracked back and worked harder than he had previously. And when he was on the ball, he was he showed a bit of quality. I thought he, out of all the midfielders, you know, probably out of all the, um, you know, out of all the, the five or six attacking players, minus Watkins, I thought he was the best player. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, he obviously he's still getting slated on social media, but that's social media for you. I, I thought he was our, our standout attacking player, the, the same as you. His stats were, were pretty good reading. After the game, and you'll have probably got a better vantage point of what his work rate was like. Was there, was there then a visible difference in, in from that in previous games? There was, yeah, and I think I think he started the well the game quite well. I can't, yeah, I, I can't, and then and what I seem to find now is every time he comes off the bench, he always seems to misplace his first pass, and he feels to me very much like a player who, if he gets his first pass off. Or if he does something well in the first sort of passage of play, he then kicks on from there and builds a little bit of confidence. And there was a, there was a, there was a moment in the first half. I think he had about three or four players around him, and he managed to just wriggle away from them and just play a very simple ba- uh, pass back. But it was a nice bit of you know composed play. And from there, he really grew in confidence and started to drive forward a little bit more. And um, yeah, I, I was quite impressed with him. I, I feel that I feel that Villa fans were. were were picking apart his performance a little bit too much. They suggested that because he went off on 82 minutes and, and Villa arguably looked better in those final eight minutes of the game, that it was because he was taken off um, that, that Villa changed the game. But it's not like that, is it? You know, if you, you bring fresh legs on for those eight minutes to really try and force the game and it's like, you know, it could have been Barkley coming off the bench and really making a difference there with those fresh legs. You've got to remember, he's just run around for 82 minutes. He's going to be considerably more tired than Keenan Davies. I think that's a bit harsh. Like you say, I think with eight minutes left, Villa's game plan switch, we went a little bit more direct swinging crosses into, into the box and trying to cause West Brom problems in a, in a more direct manner rather than the patient build-up that we were trying previous to that. So I think that, that's lunacy, really, to be, to be saying we looked better when Barkley went off. It's just that the game plan completely shifted. It was a tale of two penalties in, in the first half, Greg. I've no real problem with either, to be honest, in the, in the modern day. They're probably both penalties. I thought the West Brom one was softer than Villas. I thought I thought the West Brom defender was silly to, to make the challenge on Barkley because he, he was looking for it, but it, it's a penalty. The West Brom one felt a bit a bit like the official was evening it up, but again, I've got no massive problem with it, and, it, and it's 1-1. But at that point, West Brom really had, had a go at Villa, and I, I felt 
West Brom looked the more, the more likely to score, and obviously they did at the, at the start of the second half. I actually think they're kind of in a bit of a false position because I think if Allardyce had been there from day one this season, I think they'd have more points. I think maybe they'd be somewhere up towards where Newcastle and Brighton are. I think they'd be standing more chance of, of getting safe. They've, they've had some good results recently, so it was actually a tough challenge for Villa. It was considerably harder than when they played them the first time around at the, at the Hawthorns. You know, it was a completely different team. I was really impressed with West Brom's midfield, Gallagher, uh, Gallagher Maitland-Niles and Yacusler. Um, the three of them all offer something very different, but they... I like Maitland-Niles. It, it's just Gallagher and Maitland-Niles, the way they pressed um, you know, everything that Villa had and forced them into mistakes. You, you see McGinn and Louise making passes... Um, you know, misplacing passes. And that was, a lot of that was down to the fact that they really didn't have much time on the ball um, to think or look up even. Um, and then you Kussler, you know, he's more like a protective shield and just mops things up and, and, and has a bit more quality on the ball. I think that if Filler are looking for a defensive midfielder in the summer, that he could be a really good option. Um, you know, Salta Vigo will be letting him go. He won't be going to West Brom if that, if that, if and well, if, when they get relegated. Um, so he's certainly somebody that could come into the reckoning if, uh, you know, and Villa might be able to get him for a decent price as well. So, um, yeah, you know, just going back to what you said about West Brom, I, I think you're right. I think that the Allardyce factor is very much a real factor now, isn't it? You know, that they are picking up points, more points than they were at one stage in the season. Uh, it probably took him a little bit longer than than all of his other clubs that he that he managed to keep up, um, and I think if West Brom had the team that played against Villa on Sunday for the duration of the season, that you, you know, I agree with you. I think they'd be up there with Newcastle and, and Brighton and standing a chance of surviving. So yeah, you know, it, it was it, it was a disappointing result for Villa, two two against the team that are going down into the Championship isn't the type of result that you want, especially when. You know, the, the games are running out, but I think the way they finished the game was very pleasing. And if they can take that into the Everton game, that they can still end this season with a flourish. Yeah, West Brom generally unsettled. You talked about the midfield area there. I mean, Concer looked the most unsettled. He's looked all season. He hasn't had a bad game all season, but he was he was obviously at fault for both goals there. Every player has, has, has an off game, don't they, Greg? And I think that was just Concer's, wasn't it? Yeah, just wasn't wasn't quite himself. Looked a little bit unnerved by by some of the uh, attacking players. You know, Pereira caused him a few problems at times. Gianni, uh, Mings was kind of the man that kind of was on Diania, so he, he, the Conza didn't see much of him. But yeah, he just just wasn't quite himself. And I think you know, in a really really good season that he's had, every every player is going to get one of those, aren't they? Mm, I mean, you've mentioned Pereira. Let's go back to a bit of a bit of transfer talk. I mean, the, the West Brom Athletic correspondent is it Steve Madler. He he wrote something about Villa being interested in in Pereira, didn't he? In the in the week or straight after the game. Look, th- there is a little bit of interest there from Villa. That it's not at the stage where they're where they're considering you know bidding or, or or offering anything or or seeing where it could go. They're just he's just a player that they're very fond of, and and this was before the weekend. Um, you know, he's had a decent season. He's he's into double figures now, which okay, a couple of set pieces in there, but. That, that's the type of player that Villa need. They haven't got a midfielder at the moment who's scoring goals, so he would fit nicely into the plans. I think he would be. Um, I think he'd strengthen the team. And, and yeah, Villa, Villa are certainly interested in him. Um, how far that that interest will go remains to be seen in the summer. 
It's fair. There's some there's some tidy players at West Brom. Same with, with Fulham. If if they drop, you know, there's some, there's some good tidy players there. And Villa are going to have to try and bolster the squad in some clever ways. So there might be a few players at, at teams that go down that Villa can look at. And okay, maybe they're not going to come in and, and be automatic starters, but just a few players that can can boost the squad a little bit because we are are very thin on numbers. That'll be that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. You've touched on it as well. It's the, the the best thing about the game for me was Wesley coming on after a, a turbulent 16 months, really, really horrible injury, every, every ligament in his leg in, in absolute pieces. How good was it to see him on the pitch? Yeah, it was great. You know, he was only on for a few minutes, wasn't he? But that was a real, um, uh, a real milestone for him. Having been out for over 15 months, to, to actually get back out on the pitch would have been so pleasing for him. And you know, Dean Smith announced the team the, the day before the game and, and the players all gave him a round of applause on the training ground, which was a nice moment. Um, Tyron Mings was, you know, made a beeline for him straight out, straight in the full-time whistle to give him a big hug. And uh, I thought that was a really nice touch as well. And he looked a little bit emotional, Wesley, yeah, when he was coming off, because it, it, it would have been, it would have been, you know, quite touching for him to get back out there because there would have been really dark times where he thought, you know, am I ever going to get back? Or if I do get back, am I going to be the same player? And he had a good chance at the end, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, that would have been a, yeah. a, a real fairy tale if he'd, if he'd have put that header away. So it'll be interesting to see these next few games. As important as it was for him to get back into the team, it's now a real challenge for him to show that he's actually going to be an asset going forward because Villa have invested a lot of money in him. They wanted some sort of return, but they haven't had anything for 15 months because of his injury. So you know, Villa are going to go in for a striker this summer. So he needs to do something between now and the end of the season to show that he's still going to be in, have an impact next year. I've got to be honest, I wasn't really expecting to, to see him on the pitch on, on, on Sunday against West Brom, but the way the game was going, I suppose four minutes left, Dean Smith thought I may as well chuck him on at this point. And to be fair, him and Davies in the box gave gave Villa something to aim at. And that, that was where the, the goal came came from. And, it's just nice to have those options, as, as we said earlier, because that's been a problem all season. Haven't really had a striker to turn to on the bench when games aren't going our way. And it's, it's quite funny that the first time that we have had those couple of options, we do manage to turn a game in our favour at the end. But I, I'm a bit like you. I can't really work out how I should feel about that game because I thought there was a lot of stuff in there that was that was really, really disappointing and poor from Villa. But then you kind of give yourself a day to, to take, the, take the game in and let your thoughts marinate a little bit. And there was some positive stuff in there. There was some good performances. It's, it's a strange one, isn't it, with Villa at the moment? Because again, it comes down to, it's been a good season. It's been a really progressive season. There's been a lot of good in there for Aston Villa Football Club. But because of the way the season's ended, sometimes it's hard to look at it properly. I mean, the cold hard facts are that it's a point at home against a team that are playing in the championship. So that's what makes it hard for people to accept. Um, but if you look... I mean, at least we didn't lose. But yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. Absolutely look, you devastated know, to lose. It didn't lose. That that was the main thing. And and Keenan Davis has now got a goal. So now whenever Keenan Davis does come off the bench, you can actually start to feel a little bit more confident that he can come and change the game now. For so long, there's almost been that sort of kind of, you know, sarcastic... You know, that sarcastic sort of feeling where you think, oh, he's Keenan Davies, you know, here, here he comes, the saviour. But there was a lot, there was a lot of tweets saying, if da- I think there was one guy, if Davies scores, I'll get his name tattooed on me. So that guy's got to get a tattoo. <laughs> now, you know, there's a, when he comes on, it's, it's like, to, some some people are like, today's the day, it's finally going to happen. And obviously, yeah. if the other people are like, you say, taking the mick, it's it's a funny one. I mean, I've, I've been saying all season, but it, maybe that's me being blindly uh, rooting for him. But, 
I've been saying all season he's going to come on and score a really big goal at some point. I'm sure you've heard me say that before. And yeah, um, he has only had 157 minutes, which really isn't that much. So you know he's done it now. It, it, it's done. It, he's got that goal, and and hopefully that will help him kick on because if he could get another goal now in the next couple of games, then you, you really start to think, well, actually, he could do something for Villa. And and what what better feeling would that be to get another academy kid through? Yeah, yeah, albeit he's come a, a slightly different route through, through the, the really lower reaches of football. You just spoke to Dean Smith after the game. What was his general mood and his general consensus of the game? Look, he said it, if we'd have lost that game, it would have been a travesty. You know, he was right. They had 25 shots on target, Villa did. Um, did pretty much everything but score, didn't they, for a, for a long time. Ollie Watkins missed a good chance. Um, denied by the woodwork a couple of times. Traore and, and Davis. Um, Elmo's big volley. Yeah, don't Elmo had a big, big volley. volley. You know, Sam Johnson, I think, made nine saves in 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 the game, which is you know quite something for a goalkeeper. So there were a lot of chances there, and there, there were some positives to take from it. And and I think that you know I, th- I do think that the way Villa finished the game was quite pleasing, and that if they can take that into the Everton game, um, you know that they can potentially get something out of that too. So. Yeah, Smith, Smith was relieved a little bit, but he, he was also very frustrated at the penalty decision um, and the fact that probably side weren't quite at it in terms of their in, in terms of converting their chances. Game. I'm going to move now to the, the top three, Greg, because we, we've kept it on vogue as usual. We've got the top three Aston Villa stoppage time strikes this week. And I've been very specific. I've made sure that all three are in stoppage time. I didn't, I didn't go the late goals route. Obviously, you know, the Gabby Blues goals would feature heavily there. So I've got plumped for three that were definitely in stoppage time. I've, I've done my research. So we crack on with that. <laughs> Let's go. Number three. Three. Championship. So never great memories, early championship as well, which was horrendous for Villa. But 2016-17, Jordan Ayer against Reading, penalty. Villa hadn't won an away game for something like 460 days or something absolutely ridiculous. And just the, the way the atmosphere was in that, in that away end, it, it broke out into, that's where the don't look back in anger thing came from for a bit, where Villa fans were singing that after a game, didn't it? It was just, when you haven't won a game, an away game for 400 plus days. It's a pretty big goal, isn't it? And that was a very calm penalty from IO, if I recall. Yeah, I remember being there in that cauldron of noise, the Majewski Stadium. Um, you know, that, what a stadium. Yeah, what, we should talk about that more often. Unbel- what an away Unbelievable place. Fantastic nightlife. You know, real, real hostile mm. atmosphere when you walk in through that. You'd, you'd, you'd have had a good night out afterwards, wouldn't you, after that Villa week? <laughs> real hostile atmosphere when you walked in. I, I remember being so intimidated when I walked through Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was sitting in the I was sitting in the press box that day. I, I could hardly hear myself speak because of how loud the, the home support were, and um, obviously, look, you know, looking to the right of me were, were, was that packed out away end. Um, Villa fans, you know, in full voice towards the end. Uh, Bruce, wasn't it? Bruce's one of Bruce's early games. Yeah, yeah Bruce's yeah. And, second game. Um, I think it was Yap Stam in charge of Villa at that point, and he was very red in you, man. Uh, sorry, does <laughs> that <I> Liverpool? <laughs> he said Villa. He's in charge of Villa. <laughs> yeah, in charge of uh, Reddy. And uh, I can remember him being so frustrated in the in the press comments after because Reddy were trying to play that new sort of um, that 
out from the back way, weren't they? And they kept getting caught by Villa. And um, yeah, but yeah, a, a good memory, a cool, a cool penalty. I remember it well. Yeah, those of you that are top three fans of this segment will remember a heated debate about the Majeski Stadium in previous podcasts. So go back and find that. If you don't go back and find it, because actually it's utterly pointless. Number two, Greg. <laughs> I've gone for Ashley Young against Everton in the 94th minute, 08-09. Jolie and Lescott thought he'd equalised for Everton. Well, he had equalised for Everton, thought he'd salvaged something from the game. But about 10, 15 seconds later, Ashley Young runs down the other end and, and curls one home. That was a, a great Premier League moment, wasn't it? Yeah, brilliant. You know, I think a lot of neutral fans will remember that one as well because as far, was, was it a Sunday game or an early kickoff? Um, yeah, Sunday, four, four o'clock yeah, kickoff. Yeah, Sunday game, that's it. I, I, Super Sunday, Greg. Yeah, yeah. When Super Sunday was uh, quite a fun thing to say. Now it's just very monotonous, isn't it? But um, yeah, look, a, a brilliant breakaway goal, wasn't it? And I remember speaking to Paul Faulkner, the the ex um, uh, the ex Villa chief executive. Pretty sure he was there at the time. I'm, I'm sure I haven't got my yeah. He would have been. He would have been mixed up here. But... Wasn't yeah. Yabstam wasn't the chief executive at that point. <laughs> yeah, just thinking if I'm recalling the correct conversations here or not. But yeah, he, I think he, he he said that he he'd gone to the game with um, an Everton director or something like that, or a friend, and he remembered just jumping around going crazy at Goodison Park. So. Uh, that was a very special moment for obviously everyone that was there and, and watching on from the telly as well. It was a great breakaway goal, wasn't it? And a and a cool, you know, cool finish at a time when Villa thought that they'd thrown away their lead. Mine and O'Neill compared Ashley Young to Messi after the game. I remember that quite well. I felt I felt off for a few games afterwards. He wasn't quite right after being compared to Messi, but a great player for Villa, Ashley Young, and that was one of probably his, his highlight in Claret and Blue. Number one, Greg. One. 2014-15, 94th minute penalty, Christian Benteke against West Brom. Again, Villa hadn't won for ages and Benteke steps up with one of the coolest penalties you'll ever see in front of the whole end. Obviously, I was in the whole end at the time and I just remember there was scenes of, of rapture and jubilation in there as, as he stroked it home in the 94th minute in a, in a local derby. And that's gone down as my number one just because it's the one I remember the best. I just remember the celebrations in the whole end being something else. Yeah, yeah, one of your favourite memories. Looking back as a football fan, I'm I'm absolutely sure about that. I won't say any more about it, Greg. Let's look at the uh, the Everton game then. Probably two teams who will, will look back on the season and feel that they might have been able to do more just because of the positions they found themselves in at certain points during the season. Everton have, have still got a chance to, to finish in the European places, really. So it'll be a tough game. Arsenal obviously gifted them a a game last game week as, as they so often do so Everton come into it off the back of a win because we haven't played Everton and you said yeah. something about us playing playing Everton it's a Villa Park isn't it I'm completely confused with where the fixtures are now no no it's Goodison is it Goodison God, yeah, yeah. all over the place got to do better research Daniel <laughs> I just because we haven't played it it's so bizarre to be like 30 something games in and to have not played a football team in the Premier League at any point yet this season isn't it it's crazy isn't it you know they're going to play them twice in in a, in a matter of just a few weeks so when that when that home game does finally get rearranged i don't think it's been i think it's been sorted still yet the home game nah, um, so i don't know what they were waiting for waiting for it but uh uh yeah look i've i've been quite impressive everton I've, I think they've had a good season. Ancelotti is obviously a great coach. They've, they've signed some decent players. Um, the few times I've watched them, they've not actually played very well. But and, no, I feel like that. Yeah, but they've continually picked up points, and they're they're right up there, and they can still finish with a flourish themselves. So it'll be interesting, really, because 
at the start of the season, it was it was Everton and Villa that were, that were right at the top of the table, wasn't it? You know, at the very start. Where, yeah. And, and we thought, wow, you know, heady days. Could, could could one of these two teams, you know, really, um, you know, re- really make a go of things this season? But it's turned out that Leicester and, and West Ham are the are the two that have really surprised more than anything. So. Yeah, it'd be interesting to, to see how the two match up. Everton have struggled at Goodison. I think that's been one of their major issues this season is, is home form. They've, they've not picked up the points that they should have done at home. And if they had done, they'd have, they'd have been somewhere towards where Leicester are, push, pushing into the top four. So it, it will be a little bit of a disappointment because they've got Ancelotti. They've spent a, a lot of money. So you could argue that they're underachieving a little bit. No, I think that's where they should be. Well, not no, should be. That's the wrong word. I, th- yeah. I think that's where their where their squad is about. I think, yeah, you know, that they're one or two. That's some good players. They're one or two players away from a really good side, I think. But they're they're just not quite there for me yet. They're not quite as good as you know the the other elite teams. So, I, I for me, they're in a in a position where I kind of expected them to be. Yeah, I think the Everton fans are generally quite happy from from what I see on social media. Just a, a thought I had with the, with the money spent, some of the players they bought in, having someone like Carlo Ancelotti at the helm, I just perhaps feel it's a little bit of a missed opportunity for them this season to get themselves towards the European places, especially if Villa go go there and win on Saturday, as as, as we hope they do. That would put another dent into it. I just think for Villa and Everton there'll be a tinge of disappointment that the seasons could have been slightly more than what they are going to turn out to be. Yeah, that, that's the biggest frustration, isn't it? And, it, and it's it's right for Villa fans and it's right for Everton fans to want and expect more. That They've both seen their teams you know, go through much brighter times in the past. They saw how their clubs could perform at the start of this season. So, you know, why couldn't they continue that throughout the course of the season? I, I think that, I think I actually think Villa are where I, where I thought they would be anywhere, you know, now. I think this is where we we we, we had the discussion. Didn't Even we? when we had that start, though. no, no pre-season, no pre-season. Okay. And, and, yeah, pre-season. And, and this, been this, this was the discussion where, where we had, weren't we? We were hoping that Villa could finish mid-table, and um, yeah, but probably ex- expected them to be around maybe tenth to fourteenth. Um, after they started the season so well, I, I I thought that they were capable of, of breaking into the top six. I thought that they would be good enough. Um, but the, the the injury to Jack Grealish has just has, has killed them, unfortunately. And um, until until Villa are able to find a way to play without him, then they're just not going to progress. Unfortunately, they're not going to get towards those those real higher echelons of the table. No, well, seems like a really positive way to, to end the podcast. <laughs> I'm still hopeful. I'm still, I'm still I'm still hopeful we can hit top ten. That's still my ambition for us to finish top ten. Whatever happens, I think it's, there's been some great memories this season, and it has been a really worthwhile and great season for Aston Villa Football Club. But I still I want to finish ahead of Arsenal, and I want to finish in the in the top half. That, that's what I want to do. And I maybe Leeds as well. Let's finish ahead of Leeds as well. That's how how I want to end the season. That's a bit more positive than the six end of the year game. Oh yeah, all the, all, all the way, Greg. Let, let, let's make that happen. Absolutely. Thanks ever so much for joining me from your hotel room. Now I think you've already had your room service, haven't you? So maybe go down and you can get yourself a, another breakfast now, a second breakfast. That's what I sometimes do when I'm in the hotel. But yeah, enjoy your trip back. Cheers, Dan. Up the villa. Athletic.